welcome to this new week, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend and were in church worshiping Jesus with your brothers and sisters yesterday. And if not, visit our website at fbcrockhill.org and, and watch the live stream of one of our services from, from yesterday. In our Bible reading plan today, we are in the seventh chapter of Ezra. And in this chapter, Ezra, the author of this book, uh, leads a group of exiles who were still living in Babylon slash Persia. In other words, um, uh, when the first group returned, then there were other groups, not all the Jews. In fact, most of the Jews had not returned to Jerusalem yet. Well, Ezra leads a group from Persia, from Babylon, if you will, of exiles to Jerusalem. And, uh, and he does it with the support of the Persian king Artaxerxes. And it mentions in here that the date of, of his trip was in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes' reign as king. And because of that, we're able to date pretty closely when this takes place. Artaxerxes was king in Persia from 465 to 424 B.C., meaning that Ezra's group of exiles that returned to Jerusalem did so around 458, 457 B.C. Now, I know some of you hate it when I talk about dates. Why does this matter? Well, the temple was already finished. Remember, the first group of exiles returned around 536, 535 B.C., and the temple was completed. They finished building it about 515 B.C. And so Ezra returning in, say, 458 B.C. means that the temple had already been completed 57, 58 years. And so in these books, you may have a, a century of history recorded, and these tidbits of dates help you know what's taking place when. So Ezra and his exiles were not returning to Jerusalem, you know, the first group. No, it was, it was uh, 58 years after the temple was finished, so probably 68, 70, almost 80 years. So almost 80 years after the first group of exiles under King Cyrus of Persia returned to Jerusalem, about 80 years later is when, when Ezra and his group of exiles are going back to Jerusalem. So that's important to know. Um, and King Artaxerxes allows Ezra over that while he's still in Persia slash Babylon to, to, to collect or raise a free will offering from any and all of the Jews who want to give that are, that are still living as exiles in Babylon slash Persia. Um, and, and they take this with them, this offering with them to enhance the temple. He also authorizes Ezra to raise money through taxation from the surrounding nations, which had happened you know, years earlier under King Darius. So that same thing's happening again to, uh, for them to be able to buy animals for the offerings at the temple and so on. And, uh, and, and so he, he returns with this group and the next chapter will detail, you know, how many people were with him and so, and so on. So that's the history and the context for chapter 7. Now, what spoke to my heart devotionally is verse 10. 
Ezra is this scribe. He's a, he's an expert in the old Testament law. And in verse 10, Ezra had set his heart. I love that saying had set his heart to study, to study the law of the Lord and to practice it, to do it, to obey it and to teach his statutes, God's statutes revealed in the law and his ordinances in Israel. So Ezra had his heart fixed, if you will, on studying and knowing God's law for the Jewish people, obeying it himself, and then teaching it to others so they could know the law and they could obey it as fellow Jews in the Holy Land. And I read that and I thought, wow, that should be our passion. And we're not Jews and we're not, you know, we don't follow the, the law that God gave the Jewish people. We're Christians. But we should have our hearts set on. It should be the, the, the desire, the passion of our heart to know the word of God, to know the scripture, to know the truth, and then to practice it, to do it, to obey it, and then to teach others, to help others know his word, help others obey his word. Now, in practical terms, not every Christian has the gift of teaching. In fact, uh, the majority of Christians do not have the gift of teaching. Many do, but many, many more do not. There are many of you listening to me right now, and, uh, and you don't have the gift to stand up in front of a group of, of 25 or 50 or 100 or whatever and teach. That's just not your gift, your, uh, your personality, all of that. But all of us, including you, even if you don't have the gift of teaching, can help others know God's word and know how to obey God's word, how to live God's word. Uh, all of us, all of us can do that. And I think that's uh, one of the great benefits, the, the beauty, if you will, of our D group model here at First Baptist, because you, you don't teach when you lead a group. You don't have to have the ability to teach to lead a group. In fact, if you try to teach in a D group, you're not doing it the right way. Um, because in our D group model, everybody is reading God's word and we're training ourselves through practice to read and understand the word of God. And then when we get together in our weekly meetings and we discuss what God is showing us in these, in these chapters, we're in a sense teaching each other and we're helping each other learn. Um, and so what the leader of a D group, we call them facilitators, does is just facilitate the process, facilitate the conversation. If your facilitator is trying to bring commentaries in and do a lot of teaching during the meeting, that's not, no, no, that's not what D groups are about. D groups are about each believer learning how to feed himself or herself. So it's in a safe environment, in a small group, where we engage with God's word and then we discuss it. And in that process, we train one another. We train ourselves to read, to understand, to interpret, to apply the word of God. And then after one or two or three years, almost anyone can lead or facilitate a group because you're just facilitating the process. You're not teaching, but you are through this process, helping others to know God's word. And then in turn, they can help others. And through the multiplication, the duplication, if you will, we're helping others to learn. And something else that actually happens, more and more of us now are having gospel-based conversations with lost people because more and more of you 
are gaining confidence in God's word. You're learning how to read it. And you, and, and you begin to, you know, I do know God's word. No, none of us know everything. You don't have to know everything to be a witness. But mo the more you get comfortable with God's word, the more comfortable you're going to be having gospel conversations because you've got something to share. And so this D group model is, has benefits that you sitting in a class with a teacher will never have. Because in the traditional model, and there's great value in that. that. In a sense, that's what happens when I preach. There's great value in that. And there are some gifted people in those classes who can learn from that and become teachers. But the majority of the people in classes will never be able to teach what they are taught in a traditional class. D group works differently. And, and, and in terms of making disciples who are able to help others know and obey God's word, making disciples who can make disciples who can make disciples, and it multiplies, this is the best model um, I've ever seen. And so um, that's just kind of a reminder of why we do this and how we do it, because it should be the passion of our heart, just like Ezra, to know God's word to obey God's word, and then to help others know and obey God's word. And being part of a D group is one way, a great way, an effective way for you to live out verse 10. I hope that uh, encourages you. God bless you, and I'll see you tomorrow as we look at chapter 10, and I'll explain why we, chat, why we, we skip chapters 8 and 9. God bless you.